Hello, my beautiful Woman Inc. listeners. Welcome back. My guest this week is Caroline Winnett. Caroline is the Executive Director of Berkeley Skydeck, UC Berkeley Startup Accelerator. Caroline leads a program that hosts over 200 companies per year and is partnered with the Berkeley Skydeck Fund, a VC fund investing in Skydeck startups that shares half of fund carry with UC Berkeley. Prior to Skydeck, Caroline was a serial entrepreneur. She co-founded the pioneer company in the neuromarketing industry, NeuroFocus, which was acquired by Nielsen in 2011. Before her career in startups, Caroline was a professional concert violinist. Caroline is a recognized speaker on startups, accelerators, and neuromarketing. She is an angel investor and an advisor and board member for technology startups. Caroline received her MBA from Haas School. Her undergraduate studies were at Brown University, where she earned her violin performance degree at the Indiana University School of Music. I loved this conversation with Caroline. She is so incredibly knowledgeable about startups and entrepreneurs, and I know you guys will get so much from this. Now, let's get over to my conversation with Caroline. Welcome to the Woman Inc. Podcast. This is the place for the new generation of women looking to lead the life of their absolute dreams. I'm your host, Jenna Toddy, entrepreneur, life coach, and strategist for modern businesswomen and entrepreneurs. I am a city girl, a sriracha lover, and that friend who will hype you up when you forget how powerful you truly are. I am on a mission to make Women Inc. the most powerful network of women who are leveling up, owning what they want, and becoming who they've always wanted to be. Have you ever wondered what it would look like if you went all in on yourself? No turning back. If so, you are in the right place, my girl. Let's get started. Caroline, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure to be here. So you are a boss. I'm reading through your bio. It's very impressive. And I know that you have lots of entrepreneurship in your family, which is great. So I kind of just wanted to rewind and just kind of walk us through, if you will, your background and how you came into this role and background. Well, it was a bit of a windy path at the beginning, kind of out of character. My first career was concert violinist. So my undergraduate degree is in violin performance and I played in orchestras and I taught violin for several years and that was my first career. And it sounds like that's not very relevant, but actually all those years training to learn the world's hardest instrument and being in those high pressure environments where you can't skip a day of practice, you have to show up at rehearsal and you have to perform at your best. That turned out to be actually great training to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, that makes actually a lot of sense. I always have so much respect. I can play absolutely zero instruments, but I feel like you practice all the time. Like band practice is very serious. Yeah, what it taught me was how, as with a startup, an instrument is completely unforgiving. You can't neglect it and then go make up, right? You can't say, I won't practice for a few days and then I'll just cram it all in. You have to train your brain every day. You have to train your, your muscles every day. And it's the same with a startup. You can't leave it alone for a little while and then go back and do all the work. It requires that regular, ongoing, really dedicated devotion. And it, I would say, like playing the violin, is really an art form. And it requires many different elements to come together, some of which you can control and some of which you cannot. 
and then at the end, it really is like being an ensemble, right? Like playing in an orchestra. As your company grows, there's many different instruments playing and you as the CEO, as the founder, must conduct them all for them to play in harmony. And all of that really stood me in good stead when I started working with startups. That is very well said. I love the idea that all of the, everything has to work together, which is so true with running a business. So you are an executive director of UC Berkeley Skydeck. What led you there? Can you walk us through kind of the steps? I know you had already exited your own business prior, but can you kind of walk us through what led you here? Sure. So it actually, after my violin playing career, I decided I would like to get an MBA. And so I applied to UC Berkeley and they remarkably let me in, even though I had no (laughs) business experience. And in fact, I, after I got in, I asked the director of admissions, I'm really glad you let me in, but why did you? And it turns out her daughter played the violin and she said, I understand how hard it is to get to where you got with that instrument. Mm -hmm. You, You could apply that same discipline to the MBA program. So I got my MBA and then I had a career as either a startup founder or I ran my family's publishing company for several years. That was that I really enjoyed that. And then actually, and I like everyone to hear this because, you know, it's not like there was a straight rocket ship startup startup. I actually took time to have three children, two twins and then a third and and then went back into the workforce as a startup founder, as a co-founder. So there's, as I'm fond of saying, there's many paths towards entrepreneurship So I did a few startups and I like to say some of them were learning experiences, but two of them, (laughs) the one that I really was involved day one from startup to acquisition was a company called NeuroFocus. And we used medical grade EEG to understand consumer behavior and turn that brainwave squiggly lines on a page into insights for brands about how consumers were reacting to their products and their advertising and their messaging. And that company was the rapid ride from launch to acquisition in five years. We were acquired by Nielsen. Wow. And, and so that, that experience really helps me as I work with founders to understand where they are. So after we were acquired by Nielsen, I was doing some startup advising and, and some angel investing. And then it turned out UC Berkeley was looking for a new director for Skydeck. And I think they were happy to see that it would that, that it might be run by a Berkeley alum. And so they asked <laughs> me to run it. And it's been absolutely the most fun thing I've ever done. Doing startups is great. Absolutely great. I have to say, working with the world's great greatest startups is satisfying in an absolutely magnificent way. Yes. Ooh, I can't wait to break this down. But first, thank you for touching on stepping away and taking time. That's something personally I have so much anxiety about because I want to have kids, but I also really care about my career. And it does, I just feel like society can be very unforgiving to women for taking time to have that that to make that choice and that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Very true. It can and it still does, but I would argue that the skills you learn being a parent, patience, negotiation, having to run on empty many times, that makes you a stronger person. And you can bring that strength of character that you develop through being a parent to your startup and that maturity you develop. And those are all useful skills. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So can you give us kind of the overview of what a startup accelerator does and then also something that you really look for in startups in particular. Yeah. So in essence, what an accelerator does is it it has a bunch of startups and we go, what do you need to know? And we go find that person who knows or internally we have that expertise and we give that to them. 
So there's a lot of that, right? I need to know something. And where's the person that can help you? Of course, giving them funding is very important, right? Startups need not just money, but advice. But we always feel at Skydeck that we're doing our job right if the startups feel that the money is not the most valuable thing they get out of the program. It's the advice, it's the coaching, it's the network that they tap, it's the relationships they form with each other and with our advisors and with all of us here. That is what we want them to take away as the most most valuable thing that they get out of the program. What do we look for? I'd say we look for what all investors look for. We look for founders that have big dreams to conquer difficult problems and are absolutely determined to do so come what may. That That's sort of a simple way to put it, you know, it, to dig down. It's... Um, We look for founders that have sniffed out a big market and a big problem that can go into that market. And so large market potential is important. Founders who, for whatever reason, have the expertise to make that happen. And maybe that expertise is tangential to the problem and they bring on other people who have the domain expertise. Maybe it's their own personal problem that they've solved. Or it's just a problem that they care about. So at our early stage, the founder and the team are so critical because there's usually not a lot of history in the company that can tell us, is it going to succeed or not? There's not a lot of revenue. There's not a lot of product built. But we look for a company that's built something that we can look at, right? You've got a prototype. You've talked to some customers. It's not just an idea. You've built something that we can turn over and take a look at and see how it's working. Do you have any sort of non-negotiables or things that you think are absolutely necessary to make a successful founder? Yeah, we do. And we try to suss this out. So we're looking for founders who want to learn from us. We're looking for founders that are coachable, founders that have a hungry mind, founders that go, I want all those resources at Berkeley Skydeck. I want that massive UC Berkeley network. I want to tap into it because we have so many resources and so many people in our network and so many experts and students that want to come and intern for you. So we want a founder that wants to take advantage of that. So, so that's one thing. And then I, you know, it's, that's maybe something you won't hear so much from an accelerator, but then other things you will hear are we want founders who are absolutely determined to make their startup happen. Founders with real determination because there's going to be challenges There's going to be hard days. There's going to be really hard days. All of that's going to come. And if you're a founder with the grit and determination to make your dream a reality, you're going to get through those days and survive them and and thrive despite them. Yeah. So with an accelerator, I feel like it's, it interests me a lot because one, you have all of this insight to what types of companies are coming into market and you probably see a lot of trends that come with that, which I think is really cool. The other side you see founders coming in and in. For me, my initial thought was, I wonder how long an accelerator really stays with that founder. So do you, are you from inception to the time they exit? Are you, do you build personal relationships with a lot of the founders? Like what does that life cycle of that relationship look like generally? Yeah, that's a good question. So we have an unusually long period for an accelerator. Most accelerators are three months. In fact, there's very few that are, that are more than that, unless it's a, a very specialized deep tech niche accelerator. We're almost six months, about five and a half months. So we're longer than the typical accelerator for several reasons. One, one of them being you just get a lot more done in that period of time than three months. We can really help them so much more. We can build those relationships. 
But after they graduate, that's just as important because they're, they've just set out on their journey. They're just at the seed stage at that point. And so we spend a lot of time developing that alumni community. And we also know that what founders often want the most is to see and have interaction with somebody that, that could be them in a year or two. Mm. It's great for all of us people that did startups in our past and we're, you know, we can talk about our exits and all that. That's great. And we do lots of that. And that's really valuable. But they also want to talk to someone who just closed their series A and they can go, I can see myself where you are in the next few years. That's really motivating. So we do a lot of that alumni connecting through our alumni network. Yes. So motivating. I call that for my own life modeling, like finding people who I can model in different areas really Mm -hmm. does help your subconscious. I think believe that it's possible. So you do a lot of things. I know you come from this background where you having to be very competitive with learning the violin and with starting a company and now with being an executive director, how do you manage and prioritize this and really make sure that you show up in your full power without feeling burnt out? Ah, that is the eternal question. So A, it changes over time. So if you asked me that question 10 years ago or in five years, or even maybe in three weeks, I might answer it differently. So I think it's, very important to be very tuned into yourself and what do you need and what drains you and what feeds you. And I have to say that related to this, I learned a lot about something I kind of already knew, right? Which is how do we all do with the in-person interactions? So the pandemic came and all of a sudden every sh- everything shut down, right? And I'm an extrovert. So I like being around people that energizes me, doesn't drain me. For other people, they're introverts and they need that down. And we're all talented people who can do great things. It's just a question of understanding yourself. And so I found partway through the pandemic, when I'm spending too much time alone, I need to be with people more. Let's try to do some more in-person, in-person things. So I'm happy to be back in person now at Skydeck. And then I think it's really important. I mean, everybody says this, but it's just so important to take care of your health. And, you know, when you're young and you can sort of get by on, you know, some crappy sleep and some crappy food, it adds up. Your body remembers. It remembers all those sleepless nights and it remembers when you really weren't eating the foods that are good for you. So take care of your health. It's so important. And find out, you know, what's that amount of sleep? And, you know, sleep is such a topic now, you know, with people bragging about not eating sleep. I need sleep. And I will tell people this a lot because I know there's a lot of us out there that really want eight hours of sleep a night. That's what I want. I can get by on seven, but I get less than seven. Yeah, I'm not so productive at the five and six, but I know lots of people who are. But understand yourself and don't feel bad if you turn everything off, you know, at 11 o'clock because that's what you need to be productive. So understand yourself and understand what nourishes you and what drains you and whatever it is. Don't worry about trends. Don't worry about what's that it's, you know, it's a fad to not eat all day or it's a fad to not sleep. You do what you need for your health. Yes. So good. I need all of the sleep. (laughs) I am non-functioning without sleep. So something I hear a lot more often now, especially with Gen Z, is there's so much information out there and a very comparative society where everyone feels like the person next to them is doing better and they're like racing to get to the top. And how do you feel like you've been able to stay focused and grow in your career without really letting all of the noise distract you? Yeah, that's such a good question. So I will say, and I often say this, one of the best things about getting older 
is that you stop caring as much about what other people think of you as a general pressure. That's so that's a wonderful benefit of getting older. What I, you know, tell my younger self so that she would, you know, worry less about that. That's a good one. But I think social media has played a massively harmful role. And we're constantly looking at people who are presenting their best selves. And I mean, I do that too. If I'm going to post a photo of me on social media, I'm like, (laughs) we all do it. right? And then I look at that and I go, oh, look at that. That's me at my best self. And then I feel good. And so we all do it and we're all looking great in our, you know, in our best selves and our best places and all looking super happy. You know, it's not that often that I'm going to post, you know, I'm really kind of having a crappy day. It's not going well. I'm... (laughs) So <laughs> let's take uh, a video out. Yeah, I think, you know, when you see all these, all this, all this presentation of people looking great and celebrities, right? I mean, when I was growing up, I couldn't see all these celebrities and their amazing lifestyles and how rich they are and their private jets and everything. Now it's just in your face. So taking a really hard look at how your brain is processing all of that social media, you know, taking, trying to take a step back and go, this is not necessarily making me feel good about myself. Maybe trying to take a break from it once in a while, right. And sort of turn off that noise in your feed, I think is really important, but that that's, it's, we've got an uphill battle with social media. We've got a real uphill battle for fighting against that tendency. We do. I agree. And this is kind of a similar note, but I hear a lot is I want to do this, but there's so many other people that have already created that or there's this business already exists. Do you think that's an important question when going to start a business is what is already in the market? Or do you think that can cause the fatigue that actually holds you back from creating your vision and dream of a company? It's a really important question because the success of your business depends on many things. But importantly, is this a a much needed solution that doesn't exist? So you're not competing with established players, right? But the other thing is, Maybe it's maybe that's okay if the other players are not executing well. So mm. lots of examples out there, Zoom being a great example of there are plenty of companies doing webinars. There was WebEx out there, they're all out there, they had giant market share, you know, WebEx, all these large companies. But the founder of Zoom said, you know, the, it's not a great experience. I think it could be a better experience. Let me go launch something in this crowded market with big entrenched players but they built such a beautiful product and executed so well that they won, right? So if it's, a, if it's a completely empty market, A, it might be too soon, it might be too early, or it might be that there really isn't a need for your product, right? There isn't a pain point. So no one's trying to address it. So that's possible. Or there's lots of players, but they haven't really hit the right execution or the right kind of go-to-market yet. And every one of those cases is entirely different, but you have to ask that question. Is, is there a market and can I do it better if anybody else is there? Can I do it better? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What do you think, I touched on this for a sec, but what do you think are some new trends that are coming in the marketplace that you think are very exciting or something that lights you up? So we've all been hoping that we can all fund the companies that will save the planet Right? Yes. that will really combat climate change in a real way. And, you know, we've all kept our eyes on those and been looking at those. And now, you know, the bad news is climate change is happening. The good news is that because of that, there really is now real investor interest. There's real tailwinds from the government. There's actual funding for programs, regulation that 
need to be modified so that new solutions can come to market. That's happened. So I love that trend. We've had several companies in that area that have done really well. We have several battery technology companies that are doing quite well. So we're on the lookout for those. And I think we'll find some as we go, I'm sure, because we see a lot of those new technological developments as they come right out of universities or come right out of these founders' minds. So we're looking for a lot of that. We're looking for companies always that can do make things more efficient. You know, a lot of startups are launched because the problem is that things are being done, but they're being done poorly. This sort of gets back to the, mm-hmm. what we were just talking about earlier. And because of technology, there's a lot of things that are possible now that weren't possible before. So a lot of a lot in the life sciences, bioinformatics, now with our ability on the scientific side to analyze molecules, DNA, all of that, the kind of level that we can do now I think we're going to see some real breakthroughs in medicine. I'm hoping to see some breakthroughs in healthcare and how we manage healthcare. That's always a giant pain point. But bioinformatics, the life sciences, the combining of technology and and human healthcare, I think there's a lot of exciting things to happen there. Amazing. Ooh, that excites me too. So final question, which is what I ask everyone on the podcast, what would be your number one piece of advice for a woman who is wanting to start her own business? The number one, if I had to pick one. (laughs) No pressure. Yeah. If I had to pick one, I would say that when those little demons whisper in your ear that you can't do it, that you're not fill in the blank enough, listen to them. And then tell them to go away. <laughs> They're there. They're on your shoulder. They might be hammering you, you right in the face. Founders really need to believe in themselves at the same time that they're the, they have those hungry minds, right? I completely believe in myself, but I am a, and I have this idea, but I don't care how I get there. And I'm going to take every learning as an opportunity to iterate and maybe I'll pivot. Maybe I'll end up with an entirely different product or business, but I'm going to get there. Ooh. So good. That has to be our video clip. That was very inspiring. Carolyn, you are amazing. Thank you so, so much. It's such an honor to have you on. And I know this is going to help a lot of women. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. Okay. I hope you enjoyed this episode and are feeling so fired up to go out there and create that business or side hustle that's been on your to-do list, you know, a little bit longer than you care to admit. It is never too late to make the first step towards the life you want more than anything else. If you haven't already, make sure you are subscribed to the show so that you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, keep becoming the woman of your wildest dreams.